Hi, and welcome to Intercom on Product, which is a new podcast series with myself, Des Trainer, co-founder of Intercom, and Paul Adams, who's our Senior Vice President of Product. Over the time we've worked together, Paul and I have had countless conversations about things like how to run a product org at scale, how to balance customer feedback on your product roadmap, how to spread a product-first mentality throughout a company, how to maintain design excellence in a fast-growing R&D team, and so much more. In this series, we're going to begin sharing some of these discussions with you on a regular basis, covering everything from industry trends, what's hot right now, all the way through to things like, how are we embracing the rise of automation? So if you're a designer, product manager, engineer, researcher, or anything in between, we think you'll find these conversations really valuable. You can subscribe to Intercom on Product on iTunes, you can stream it on Spotify, or even just grab the RSS feed in your player of choice. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to the Intercom on Product podcast. I'm Paul Adams, and with me today is Des Trainer. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Not too bad. So today we're going to talk about products and how they evolve over time. And we're going to start with a question uh, that Des and I were discussing earlier today about all these new apps, for example, Linear, Superhuman, and most recently Height, mm-hmm. that are command line interface driven. Daz, you have a few thoughts on this. I do. One is that they all have a dot app domain, uh, linear.app and height.app right here too. You've definitely heard of Superhuman if you're listening to this podcast. And there's actually there's another one that I think about a Quill, which is like a really, really fast version of like Slack, I would guess. Like really, really excellent messaging for teams. I guess um, the interesting thing that we're going to learn over the next couple of years is, is speed a feature or is speed the product? Yeah. I think for the longest time, speed has been one of those things that like, yes, it's important, but there's so many other things you can do. And maybe something like Gmail had like took their eye off that for quite a while. And this sort of the meteoric rise of superhuman has shown that yes, people want really, really fast ways to do things. Mm-hmm. I think also if you look at like, I have yet to use fully linear, but like I can see the exact pattern it follows, which is like high information density and rapid context switching through this like command cave sort of power line, a powerful command line tool. Height is of the same order, and I'm going to guess quills in that nature too. The the one thing I do notice, because I every now and then people pitch me on various products, and I received a pitch the other day for like the superhuman of blogging. And the 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 challenge with like anchoring your product pitch around speed is that you have to work out what makes the existing process slow. So if I have to sit down and like archive as I do every morning. 60 emails or like maybe read, scan, archive, read, scan, forward type flows. Read my emails, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I read all Paul's emails, but anyone else's emails automatically get forwarded. Uh, (laughs) Des plus straight to archive (laughs) at intercom.io. But I think like the, the, there's a phrase Jared Spool uses, which is the difference between tool time and task time. Tool time being how much time are you wasting dealing with like the crud, or not crud's the wrong word here, but like just with the messiness of the actual product. So like, how long does it take to like pop the labels dialogue and type in the label and all that sort of junk? And then there's actual task time, which is like when I'm writing an email, the thing that actually takes me time is thinking about what I want to say. Like the delay between the key press and the character appearing on screen is not the problem here. Which got me thinking towards like, firstly, this superhuman of blogging type approach, which to me, I worry that if I was to sit down to write what like, you know, it might take me like four to five hours to get a good post out, maybe longer if there's graphics. Mm-hmm. You know, the WordPress piece is not the the high order bit. So like shaving like minutes off a five hour process is like really not worth it. Now, it doesn't mean speed's therefore irrelevant. You can certainly go so slow that I won't use your product. But I think as far as it being like a USP, I think you really have to make sure that you focus on areas where like the speed improvement will be notable relative to the task time. And I think like that's one whole piece. The interesting thing uh, that I know we've talked about before is 
as a way of enabling speed, the kind of rebirth of the command line inside products. We see this, like, you know, Slack had a little bit of it with Command-K for switchers, yeah. but you'd totally see it and say Superhumans is all about it, and as are these other apps, seemingly. I think there's an interesting thing happening here, which I'd love your opinion on. Like, we ultimately moved away from the command line because of the problem of discoverability. That is, you're staring at a blank line and you don't know what to type and you don't know what you can type and you type things and you press return and you get told, that's not a valid command. Yeah. Uh, so we figured, right, why don't we just put all the valid commands on screens with icons and with words underneath them, like save. And now all of a sudden you can just click the thing you want instead of having to type it. By the way, chatbots did this whole dance recently as well, where you start a conversation with a chatbot and you don't know what you can say. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, as we kind of seem to want to go back here, maybe it's just power users, maybe it's just people whose like hands never leave the keyboard. But from a design perspective, how do you think about like IA in a world where, you know, rapid access command line context switching is kind of becoming, maybe coming back in fashion. And this could be just a 2019 thing, but I suspect it might go on. Yeah. I think there's loads of different dimensions to it. One is understanding who your customer is for, for start. So I think different types of people will be more attuned to using command line interfaces than others. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, Hyde is a project management tool. Mm -hmm. And if you're familiar with project management tools and quite sophisticated in project management, you might know that you could type in things, I assume it's how, they, how it works, type in yeah. things like T-A-S-K yeah. and you know, something smart yeah. comes up and then you can work away. Whereas if you're new to it, or you know maybe your, your job requires project management, you're not a project manager, this might be, you just don't know what to type. Mm -hmm. I think the Slack example is interesting, Command K and Slack, because if you think about like the tool time and task time in Slack, it's definitely not on the scale of blogging, WordPress, mm -hmm. or like huge task time. Yeah, You're kind of in, a, I think you're in a mix of tool and task time where you're typing to people, like you're yeah. writing, hey Des, blah, 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 yeah. and having chats. And then the chats are so quick and ephemeral that often you're switching chats. Yeah, you're and, having multiple, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and you're switching between them. Yeah. And you, as I'm sure most people experience, have many, many different types of chats, channels, yeah. groups, everything in Slack. And it's hard, you know, the way I have Slack set up, I don't know if many people listening have it mm -hmm. set up this way, is like all the left-hand channels and groups yeah. and so on are hidden yeah. until they show red. red. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and so I need to know, to look in groups and know their yeah. names. And yeah. so once I get into Command-K and start typing it, it works. Yeah. Like the type ahead thing mm -hmm. kind of works. All the suggestions pop up. So I think for that, that's a nice blend where yeah. it's worth it to kind of tune and task it, time and it's, merge. It's interesting. The, the ratio there is the thing, right? Like if it takes you more than two minutes to say you'll be there in two minutes, you're not going to bother using the product, right? right like, exactly, you know, yeah. So like you can kind of think of like it's, it's hell, like if you have to launch Slack on your phone just to say on my way or whatever, yeah. And it takes you a while to find Des, so just so you can say like OMW or whatever. Yeah, uh, it's it becomes useless. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, uh, so I think like the thing that's invariant across all is like the ratio has to make sense. Like mm -hmm. the task time for you to focus on optimizing the tool time starting point has to be at least equal, if yeah. not like you know, if not greater than the actual task time, right, or something like that. Like yeah. where you sort of say, hey, like most of the time you're using this thing, you're not even doing the damn thing you're trying to do. You're actually playing with all the crap around it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, exactly. And I think for a tool like Slack. You know, Slack's IA in many ways is dead simple. It's just mm -hmm. chats, right? Yeah. And then different permutations of, of people in groups, whatever. Yeah. Whereas other pieces of software, Intercom, for example, you know, we've mm -hmm. like messages and inbox and very distinct different things. And you might want to navigate around those. And each one inside has like a bunch yeah. of sub options and sub menus. So the IA challenge we have is not insignificant. Yeah. The IA challenge, I'd argue, that Slack has is certainly not as hard as most yeah. other apps, at, mm -hmm. le at least kind of apps that people use for workflow and, yeah. you know, things that are things for business and so on. So for us, um, designing an IA is quite challenging and therefore mm -hmm. I'd imagine having a control K for intercom would be harder because yeah. people won't know what to type. Yeah. 
versus Slack. You know, Slack is t- trying to remember people's names. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Groups. That, and you can usually like that's all you need to remember. Yeah. You know, versus like, hey, I'd like to configure a custom bot on the pricing page to ask a question. You know, it's, you know, like again, mm-hmm. you're back into this idea of like the thing I'm trying to do is actually a pretty serious thing. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be like a seven seconder. Yeah. Maybe the one area for us to optimize there would be just the actual inbox itself because that is probably the the most sort of I you know sometimes you are answering quick questions from customers and like in that case it is worth speeding up. Yeah, and maybe then it's not. I think for Slack, it's like at least in my experience, it's a lots of navigation. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, it's possible that the the kind of command interface we would design and build for Intercom would be more. We'll be getting would be actual tasks and functions yeah. and getting things done. Like you yeah. can actually finish the whole like workflow potentially. Like yeah, like tag whatever, like yeah. Control K, close, you know, type close, yeah. like most recent conversation, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it could it could like auto populate as yeah. you start typing out and you hit yeah. enter, and it's, the yeah. thing just does it. Mm-hmm. It's so, interesting, you know, the interchange between that and like yield keyboard shortcuts, which we've had forever. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The, la- the last piece on on these these this like new era of like let's say speed focused maybe uh, keyboard first apps. Actually, uh, that's what they should brand. That's what they should brand the movement as keyboard first. I think also like the unique selling proposition that's going to differentiate. There has to be a sense of like bottoms up consumer adoption uh, of the thing because I think it's hard to sell into a big company. Like if it would be hard to pitch like a you know, a recruiting system or like a HRIS system or whatever, mm. human resources, like as in the systems that track your staff or whatever, it'd be hard to pitch one of them sure, like surely on like, hey, look how fast it is. Yeah. Because the person who's buying it probably doesn't actually care about how long it takes everyone else to like use it. Yeah. Versus like a bug tracking thing where actually the person who's buying it is probably a lot closer to the person who's using it. So I think there's like, you know, before you go hell bent on creating the superhuman for X, I think it's worth asking a few of those sort of uh, questions along the way. Yeah, one thing that strikes me there as you're talking is, again, one thing we've, this is just our own experience kind of designing and building Intercom over the years. Uh, one thing we've noticed is, I think people like in marketing, for example, like in the kind of, you know, I guess still to this day, but like in the years prior in marketing, a lot of people in marketing had very little technology experience and didn't need it. And the software they used was very much like the big icons, big buttons and so on. But over time, as things like targeted messaging have evolved, targeted ads have evolved, people have started to become way more familiar with with how all these things work. That's actually databases and people mm-hmm. in them and they've attributes. And mm-hmm. and so I don't think like people go learn SQL, but, they, right. but they're starting to like learn the basics of like and or logic. Yes. Right. So there's yeah. kind of some natural sophistication happening yeah. where yeah. the expectation of a marketer these days yeah. is they can understand and or logic. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder, I wonder will that extend this? Yeah. So that yeah. the floor is... Uh, yeah. different it kind person. of rises in it rises yeah. yeah yeah like i think it's sophistication to the degree the complex you're doing the, the task you're doing has gotten more sophisticated in the sense yeah uh, which is interesting the other thing i think in this space we're talking about is like it's quite tempting when you're in the early throes of application development for something like this to like to really you can be so workflow obsessed about speed that you can actually a phrase i've used internally a lot is like overfit or overserve like your actual your target customer I think like the challenge you bump into there is because you're sort of designing somewhat for yourself uh, or somewhat for a workflow you know really well, you might start to like bake in the peculiarities of you or like, or maybe just a small group of your own customers. The tension there is that like when other people sit down to adopt it, you realize pretty quickly, shit, not everyone likes to archive their email and go on to the next one automatically and Mm -hmm. open the reply dialogue and pre-tag the email the way I do, you know, 
what do you think how, like does that shrink your market size or how do you think about that like like you know baking in those sort of opinions early on yeah i think email is a great example actually just to kind of um make the make the point or the example really concrete for people like people use email very differently mm-hmm. i apply some version of inbox zero where every day generally i have like about 20 or 30 emails so that's a manageable i can see it i know other people that i work with who have i know you you're more you're inbox zero oriented as well close, yeah but I know people with like thousands of emails oh, and, and they would say, I'm in total control of this. Yeah. Right. And so they've a completely different workflow to me. It freaks yeah. me out too. Looking at it, like stresses me out looking yeah. at their numbers. I'm just like, there's no way you're on top of things. That's yeah. my only conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> when they say they yeah. are. Yeah. So people use e- email in different ways. Mm-hmm. Some archive, some don't, some just mm-hmm. leave it there, et cetera. So there's definite differences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within it, within any product's customer base, obviously people should go out and understand those customers, understand yeah. the differences and the needs. And I think one thing that we've experienced over the years uh, around overfitting is obviously you, you go out and you talk to users of your product and you see gaps mm-hmm. and you fill those gaps with features. And so the product grows over time. Mm-hmm. And that's natural. And I think any product over the course of years and years and years adds features. Yeah. And it's easy to, there's kind of a bunch of things that spin out of this. One is it's easy to then become like bloated software full mm-hmm. of features that only some people use and yeah. some don't. And it's easy then for the product to become really complex. And so this kind of concept of overfitting that we started talking about, I think is a really powerful way to think about it. See, exactly. Like there's like, there's one end of the spectrum is overfitting, right? Which is like, we've absolutely nailed your workflow. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like the Paul Adams email client has a target customer base of one, right? Yeah. And you're not going to pay a couple million for it. So our kind of revenue is not going to look so hot. And then the other extreme is we are like the sum of all email client features, which is potentially we are all things to all people, but most people are only going to use, this is the old Microsoft Word argument, you know, like yeah. hey, there's some 80-20 thing at play, you know, all you need is bold and underline or whatever. And then when you actually get into the details, you realize, but everyone uses a different subset of the features. So it turns out all the features were actually necessary if you want to have the big market. Mm-hmm. So if the spectrum is like, is like super tight fit, really specific to exactly how you think issue tracking should work or how yeah. you think, you know, marketing automation should work. And then the other end is like, an unopinionated toolbox that can be used to support basically any which way you could ever imagine working. The costs are different. On, on the overfitted end, you have a really small target market. Mm-hmm. And like that's bad because it means, you know, like you, you really need to jack up the price. That need, and this is why they, some people call this like the luxury software end. Yeah. And then on the other side, you have this ridiculous upfront uh, configuration cost, which is like, Welcome to thing management. We are, you know, please yeah. tell us what the things are and what you want to do with them. And you end up configuring everything. And there are like, there are systems like that where like, there's like a three day onsite install where like engineers come out and tell you, well, you know, we, here's how you can configure this. And well, no, how do you do holidays? Here's how we, you know, and mm-hmm. every single feature needs to be kind of like itself stitched in based on your needs. And in that world, you have maybe the high price, but you also have like the ridiculously high adoption cost. You probably have no self-serve business. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. 
The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. The statement that occurs to me, and I, I hate saying this, uh, demoralizes people, but you know, is it true that for software to be commercially successful, there's some fundamental requirement of shitness? <laughs> like, <laughs> so what I mean, what I mean by that, if you hear me out, this is a good tweet. Uh, <laughs> uh, what I mean by that re- really is like, um, you know, if, if it is truly the perfect fit for you, kind of almost by definition, it's imperfect for somebody else, right? Yeah. Because what it, what it means is at the very least, you didn't have to crawl through 1150 drop downs and configuration settings to get a fit, fitting for you. Yeah. If it was really fit, perfect fit for you, it just had to have been bad for somebody else. Yeah. And then the other extreme is if you want to have a, a large addressable market, you need to work for a lot of people, mm-hmm. which means that you can't actually bake in all these opinions as like sort of first class citizens. You need to kind of be really flexible. Yeah. And I think like that's the tension that we see. So when, when we when we talk about say something like bloat, you know, what bloat is effectively in some sense is a way of saying for every feature, there is a user, not mm-hmm. for, you, you know, and for every user, there is a feature. Mm-hmm. However, it might be like a pretty, um, there might be like 5% adoption for all of your features. Yeah. Uh, but it's, a, but again, it's a different 5% of customers or whatever. So in, you know, to expand your addressable market, you kind of have to start peeling back some of the opinions that, that on one hand, win you customers because they're like, hell yes, we want you know, automatic archiving of emails that are greater than seven days old and automatic tagging of, you know, like to appeal to those people, that's going to get you your early customers. But you have to kind of wind that back as you think, right, now let's talk to people beyond that. And the point I often make to early stage sharps when they really want to overcook or overserve is every opinion kind of costs you money. Like if if you're selling me a project management app, let's just pick that as it's kind of the problem space everyone knows. Mm you're already down to a certain sliver of the market. And then you're going to say, and we have an OSX client only. And you're like, okay, grand. Well, now you're reeling at all the Windows users. Okay, cool. What's next? And we believe all tasks must have an owner. Okay, now you're down to only people who believe that too. And we believe all tasks should auto expire if they're not completed in five days. And you're like, okay, you're getting pretty uh, peculiar here. Yeah. So you're, you're whittling down your opinion so tight. And like the challenge you always have to have as a software owner is like, for all the opinions that I'm hard coding, what's the ROI of them? Like, they better be paying you off in marketing and kind of the attractiveness to like towards the peculiar bunch that you are building for because they're costing you everything else in the market. Yeah. And then if you are successful over time, you get to start like in the words of OEM, like losing your religion in a sense because yeah. you have to start kind of being like, all right, maybe to-dos can be unknown for a period. Okay, yeah. I know we said never, but like I guess now is never. Yeah. So you kind of have this tension. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a journey we've been on, losing our yeah. religion yeah, yeah. over the years, for sure. You know, a lot of the opinions, strong opinions we had in the past, yeah. we've let go of. Yeah. Um, as you're talking there, it makes me think there's there's a relationship between a product growing and, and the market growing. Yeah. So like as you add a feature, yeah. the market grows. The pe- market, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. the product's growing and the and the the market's growing and the product growing and they're growing yeah. together. Yeah. Uh, it also reminded me of the way we work with our sales team yeah. here, yeah. where we 
we're building like deeper and deeper collaborations with our sales team. Mm-hmm. They obviously talk to customers, prospectors all the time, very deep understanding of the needs, the gaps in the product. The easiest way, of course, to fill those gaps is features. Mm-hmm. It's our job in product and engineering to build those features. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we are very strong on is that we will never build a single feature for yeah. a single customer. Yeah. Having said that, what we will do is when a customer says, hey, we need feature X, yeah. we will then like go and look, do other customers need yeah. feature X? This is a common thing, yeah. It's a, is it a common thing? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's how we so far are like navigating and hopefully avoiding this like bloatedness yeah, yeah. That, that comes. Yeah. And for the most part, most of the features I, that most of the customers see, at least they understand. Yeah. And so like I come, I come back to email here too, like I'm thinking, thinking about Gmail. Yeah. There's many, many features in Gmail, many, many people don't use, mm-hmm. but they kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. Our, you know, archive, tag, filters, mm-hmm. right? These are like understandable things. Yeah. And the kind of bloated, for me, when, when software gets bloated, it's when you see things in the product that you just don't know what they do, what they're yeah. for. It doesn't, they, make, they make no sense to you. They make no sense to yeah. you. Yeah. Which basically means you've tiptoed either you're sharing the same product across multiple types of users such that one person gets it and another person doesn't, or you're kind of crossing into different use cases and you're speaking the wrong language or whatever. It, like, an interesting way to think about bloat as you like, kind of look at product surface areas, it's kind of like, it's a ratio of the usage statistics to like the, to the, to the software footprint. So if you have a whole tab in your like email thing called like to-dos that no one has ever clicked into, that's a pretty significant chunk of your product that you're going to have to design, maintain, support, improve that no one's using. And as a result, the ROI of work there is really, really low. Yeah. Yet it still sits there and it kind of dilutes your energy and all that sort of stuff. So I think like the the key thing to keep your eyes focused on is like some sense of the footprint of your software relative to how, how much adoption it has. Yeah. And I think like if, you know, bloat is probably like, if you take like say Gmail, like it might be the case that me and you don't use, let's say, uh, folders, right? Mm-hmm. But like when you have like, you know, a few hundred million users as Gmail does, they probably still have 35 million people using that right. feature. So it's like, it's not insignificant. And I think like that's the piece you have to kind of bear in mind and that like adding that has probably enabled 35 million more people to adopt Gmail. Yeah. And as a percentage, that's been worth it relative to the size of the feature. Yeah. If the feature was massive, I think it would have been a bad idea. Yeah. 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 And, and it reminds me too, like the, you and I may not use folders, mm-hmm. and yet we understand why they're there. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Like the, yeah, the exactly. coherence yeah. matters a lot. Yeah. Another thing, as you're talking there, another thing that, that that I was reminded of was a point you made to me, which I thought was really really insightful. Where as companies grow, mm-hmm. and you know, most most startups in the world start off with a small customer base, mm-hmm. with small companies. Small companies use them. Uh, often, many startups customers are other startups or mm-hmm. people on their own. And as they go up market and get bigger companies, their customers are bigger companies. Mm-hmm. And as companies get bigger, they become more unique mm-hmm. and they have more unique needs. And yeah. so when you're kind of playing in, in companies of like hundreds of people, there's so much inside that company is very specific and unique to them. Yeah. The ways they work, the workflows that they have, even yeah. the relationships, the departments, the way they're set up. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, we One thing that we've noticed recently is like the term customer success yeah. can mean wildly different things in different companies. Yeah. Yeah. And so it kind of, I, I thought that was really insightful because it reminded me that it's very easy to overfit. Mm-hmm. and you're looking for this lowest common denominator. Yes. Basically, which yeah. kind of gets us into the world of customization. Yeah, exactly. I think that was that is kind of the other half of the over-serving thing, which is like um, you need to find the most common paths that everyone takes, mm-hmm. and then you kind of want to have like your, your options and your preferences and your customization and, and like your last mile integrations. They fill the small remaining gaps behind you. 
So you might say like, hey, for like 90% of the support workflow, we do all of this excellently. Yeah. But if you really, really, really need to drop into this, we integrate perfectly with this other tool, but we don't step over there because most people don't need it. Right. And I think, and then the ROI of that customization it can, then, can then be judged independently when you haven't stitched it into the whole product by, by itself. Yeah. When I think about all this and then I look at like either like some of our like aspirational competitors further up the market or like, or just like large companies in general, it's hard not to like admire in a way, let's just, be polite and say I didn't always. Uh, like I think when we were younger, it was like uh, like Wintercom was a smaller company. It was very easy to to guffaw at the challenges or like the you know like the slow pace of innovation relative to like people who could bang out five features in a week or whatever. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it it does become more tempting to actually gaze admiringly and say, "Wow, like you're doing incredible, given what you've created and given where you are." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah very very much so. That that's something that's close to my heart these days. It is true. There's a naivety in the early days, and maybe that mm-hmm. serves people well. Probably an essential Probably. naivety. In it. You have to believe yeah. that that that's terrible. In a sense. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah but your, your view changes o- over the years as you grow. You know, something that you see. Like in the early days, you feel like you can disrupt these companies that got mm-hmm. big bloated software. Yeah. And like in many ways, this is disruption theory. Like you come with yeah. a simpler thing and so yeah. on. But then you start to realize that a lot of those features that looked like bloat mm-hmm. now look like money. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is the strange. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. again, like there's a fine line there. There's a healthy tension there. And I, the, the flip side is also interesting, which is like when you see a new early stage startup saying, like, we're like Intercom, but with a twist. And I'm like, when I hear with a twist, what I hear is a much smaller target addressable market. You know? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, the, like there's a there's a natural tension, and so part of this, is, I guess, is just growing up and the people who've been through multiple, uh, like mature software companies, probably listening to this, thinking they were children in a sense. But yeah. I think it, it is natural to sort of like as you get closer to those larger companies to sort of see, wow, they actually have a lot of this stuff figured out. Like, and, yeah. and like for sure, like evolving a product is hard. But like when you see companies, like a company anyone would infer were a competitor with, say Zendesk, like mm-hmm. when you see that they've got like what, six, seven hundred million dollars in revenue, you're like, wow, it is like, you know, one Amazing. does not, yeah. you don't roll out of bed and get that. Like right. there's like, you have to be right. doing a lot of things right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, the, when you look at these kind of incumbent companies, it's easy to forget when you're like a small startup and you're kind of plucky. And again, like you probably need this in the early days to be successful. You do look at those companies and forget quite conveniently that, the great many great people made many great decisions in those companies yep. day after day year after year and shock just, horror like some of the best yeah. c- companies of our generation were built by fantastically smart people right yeah, yeah, yeah. right right yeah. Uh, so kind of bring this home and connect all the things together you know one of the things that, that's kind of on my mind uh, as we think about the future of our product for example where we are adding features mm-hmm. and you know there are bigger companies using intercom mm-hmm. and they have more sophisticated needs they have more uniqueness is how we might marry together the kind of classic IA, you know, click mm-hmm. on icons, navigate around, and this new command K world. Mm-hmm. Any, any thoughts on that? Like, you, you know, can, do you see this thing as just being too early? To, it's just too nascent, or because yeah. kind of, right right now you have yeah. the the linears and the yeah. superhumans, yeah, yeah, the tunnel, which are yeah. all in yeah. on this kind of idea, yeah. And maybe Slack is a hybrid, yeah. Uh, and then you've got like you know traditional yeah, software yeah. W- without any of this stuff. Yeah. So one of our designers, Gustav, posted a mock up recently of like, hey, here's how something like this might work. I think like. Not to be totally purist about it, but like my take on this would be like, I kind of want to zoom out and say like, you know, you know, in true intercom values, like let's understand the problem. Let's not start with the solution, right? Like, so it sounds like you're proposing that intercom needs to be faster. Okay, mm-hmm. let's trickle down from there. In what ways is intercom slow? And you might say, well, it's slow to load. All right, well then let's go talk to the Ember team and see if they can mm-hmm. get it faster or whatever. Uh, or you might say, well, it takes me too long to get context on a user. And you're like, oh, well, maybe we should redesign the screen to get context on the user or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the piece that like the the command line thing really hits on isn't, for us, it's not speed of technical performance. I think what it is, is the idea that your hands don't leave the keyboard and you can really get in the zone. 
Right. And I think that's what Superhuman really tapped into this idea that like you shouldn't ever touch the mouse. Yeah. You should be able to sit there with your hands on your keyboard and get through 100 emails immediately. Yeah. yeah. And I think the sort of similar use case for us is actually the customer support team. I, like put it another way, I don't think building a command line switcher for like people who are sending out marketing campaigns is going to be that useful. Mm. I think they're okay to click around a bit because like yeah. it turns out the thing they're doing is, is like a lot of work, but it's a single task. Yeah. So I think it's like when you're doing like high task frequency and repetitive tasks. So yeah. like read, reply, read, archive, read, reply, read, archive, right? I think that's when you want all that stuff to be my hands and have to leave the keyboard. Mm-hmm. It does like, I still want to pull back on my earlier question and sort of say, why did keyboard shortcuts get bypassed in this world in a sense? Yeah. And, and, and it's possible that the command line thing has just been a highlight that people don't really know or remember keyboard shortcuts, but they will remember like close or yeah. like send or, yeah. or like things like that, like S E N or grand. And like it might actually be quicker or like conceptually cheaper to just press command K and type the first two to three letters of the thing you're trying to do than to remember. Did you know that Y is archive in Gmail mm-hmm. or whatever? You know? Yeah. So like I, I I think there's something going on there. So I guess to to round out, like what does this new world of command line driven apps mean for intercom? I think what it means is there is a class of user for whom like a high task frequency and repetitive tasks performed in a really, really fast dynamic manner is definitely a thing in a lot of tools. And for us, it's definitely a thing. And I think we need to design the right solution to do that. And and so, so be that what it may. And then separately, gosh, it does seem fashionable to have one of these things right now. And if it does catch on and everyone starts to expect it, well, we better be there. Right. Because it'll become a standard pretty soon if, right. it's, if it's not already. So. I can, you have to kind of come at it from both sides. But, I, I, you know, if you're asking me, should we ship it? Yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Yeah, cool. Thanks very much. All right, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks, Des. Thanks for listening to the Intercom on Product podcast. For more content, go to our blog at intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. 